0: You're listening to the Queen City Church Sermon of the Week. For more information on this message and other resources, visit queencity.church. Yes, Lord, speak
1: through me this morning. I'm also going to pivot here a little bit just because I want to reference it. Make sure what I'm seeing here is up there. So we are in our series, The Fruit of the Spirit, which we've been in for Two and a half months now, since the beginning of the year. Um, and my first thought was to speak on one of the fruit, one of the fruits. And I thought, I'll talk about patience. Um, because I lack it. I don't mean the, actually, the good kind of patience that we try to teach our kids, that level of patience, but I mean, Deep patience, the kind that takes years to wait for a promise to be fulfilled. I think often about something that Gary Vaynerchuk said. Anybody, a Gary V fan in the room? Couple. He's an entrepreneurial speaker, businessman. He's not part of the faith community. He says in the context of businesses and dream fulfillment and entrepreneurship, Your lack of patience is killing you. I think about that all the time because I feel the death that happens when I'm impatient. Things take time. Dreams take time. It was a natural progression on the last thing I spoke about in December, about um, Advent, this active waiting, Kairos time. So I decided I'm not going to speak on patience. It was sort of a continuation. didn't want to repeat myself too much. And then I thought, maybe I'll speak on peace. And this idea that we are all to be agents of peace in a volatile world. But I don't know if I was ready to talk about that. There's still so much tension I have about that there's war imagery all throughout the bible to say nothing of war history and then christ is this counterpart this counterpoint bringing peace in a very divisive volatile war torn time and it felt like that was going to be a des- destined to be a very politicized message and i just wasn't quite ready so then i landed on let me talk about the fruit of the spirit as a concept, as an idea. And once I explored this, it felt like, okay, this is maybe where we can land, where we can explore. As Robin said earlier this morning, Thomas is going to pontificate. He didn't know what I'm speaking of, but I think my nature is to pontificate. Sometimes it's too deep for a Sunday morning, and I have the honor of speaking on Spring Forward Sunday morning. Where everyone's a little out an hour um, delayed. So hopefully we won't be too pontificatous. I don't know what that word is. So, oh, my slides changed here. Oh, I'm back on the announcement. Interesting. Here we go. We're good. Let's look at Galatians. There we go. All right. 522. This is the text for this series, right? We've read this a number of times now. By contrast, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, generosity, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against such things. This is the New Revised Standard. A lot of translations... Translate generosity as goodness. There is no law against such things. Look at the first two words there. By contrast, the fruit of the Spirit is. By contrast to what, you might ask? Well, if we go back a few verses to verse 16, we can see the contrast Paul is making here. Live by the Spirit, I say, and do not gratify the desires of the flesh. For what the flesh desires is opposed to the spirit and what the spirit desires is opposed to the flesh. For they are opposed to each other to prevent you from doing what you want. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not subject to the law. Now the works of the flesh are obvious, fornication, impurity, licentiousness, idolatry, sorcery, enmities, strife, jealousy, anger, quarrels, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these. As if he didn't list kind of all of them. I am warning you, as I warned you before, those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. And then he goes on, by contrast, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, generosity, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against such things. So Paul is saying there is no law against the works of the flesh, spiritual laws. There is no law, Old Testament law, right, the law, and in some cases, societal laws. But these, but there aren't any laws against the fruit of the Spirit. They are freedom. The spirit is in contrast to the flesh. This is a very familiar theme of Paul, right? Romans 8-5. Those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires. But those who live accordance with the spirit have their minds set on what the spirit desires. Spirit and flesh. Okay. This is nothing new to Christians, but notice the words Paul is using. The fruit of the spirit, the work ...of the flesh. It's not the fruit of the flesh... ...and the work of of the spirit. It's the work of the flesh... ...and the fruit of the spirit. This is the 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 contrast that Paul is drawing. Spirit, flesh, work, fruit. Work, your tasks, your deeds, your labor. The Greek word being ergon. Fruit, karpos, what is produced a living extension, that which grows a multiplication. And this comparison, fruit, work, led me to something very foundational. Culture and nature. And this is what I want to explore at a foundational level. Um, Culture and nature. Don't think of these as good and bad opposites. They are not. Work, fruit. One's not good, the other's not bad necessarily. Work is not always bad. Fruit is not always good. These are ideas that work in tandem and in contrast to each other. And they reveal an ideal that we began with pre-fall and that we will return to. And the grand middle, the intersection of culture and nature is what we call life. And it's a daily practice to understand culture and nature, work and fruit. Nature, culture. When I say the word culture, don't think of it in this modern marketing way. We kind of think of the word culture. I don't mean modern trends. I don't mean societal activity. Think of the word cultivate. Or a scientist who grows bacteria in a lab. That's called a culture. U-R-E, the suffix there, means process. Or a result. A process leading to a result. Cult, the prefix, means to inhabit. Inhabiting. This idea of this ever-present inhabiting. Culture is the process of inhabiting. Nat, the uh, prefix to nature, means born. Nature, the result of birth. In the beginning, God created nature. And then man created culture. Culture is that which is made by us, by mankind. Nature is that which is unmade. That which already was. Or what occurred naturally. Or if you want to put it another way, that which is made by God. Let's stick with nature and culture for just a second longer. Uh, And I'm going to employ some visual aids. Because as I said, the intersection of nature and culture is where life is lived. And it's at the center of what I'm trying to communicate uh, in the context of fruit And the spirit. To inhabit nature is to begin to cultivate it. Specifically for mankind. It's sort of like um, Schrodinger's cat. If you know that scientific concept. The very act of observation changes the thing being observed. So to inhabit nature. Is to bring culture. To something. That was born that that was already was that is natural and pure nature that is nature without culture nature without inhabitation is often terrifying to engage with it to the extent that we can here on earth is as close as we can come sometimes to sort of feeling what it is like to engage with God in the material world consider these images of pure nature The open ocean. I don't know if that's the Mariana Trench, which is the deepest part on earth, but the deep abyss. Just think about the ocean. You start to feel terrified if you're like me because there's something uninhabitable. We, we recognize the threat it is to our survival, to our ability to inhabit the open desert. It's the Amazon rainforest. Parts of the earth the last part of the earth that's not a, underwater, that has yet to be fully explored by any human. It is yet to be inhabited. There is no culture in parts of that nature. Outer space, that's Mars. Uncultured, uninhabited. Mount Everest. You, you, if you think about these things, you feel a little bit of fear, right? You feel a little terror because we start to naturally consider our own ability to be wiped away, or our inability to live. Similarly, pure culture can be terrifying. That's the Large Hadron Collider. I don't know if you guys know about it. You should search it. One of the most terrifying, exciting inventions of of man. That is mountains of plastic. Pure culture, over culture. You can see where I'm going, perhaps. It is where culture meets nature, where there is a balance that we feel safe, that we feel peace. We feel a promise. We feel like we can thrive. Culture in nature. That is life. And the most prototypical picture of culture and nature, the OG representation is a garden. seems so obvious, a garden. Nature and culture in perfect balance. And what happens in a garden? Fruit is produced. Go all the way back to the beginning. God created nature. Then he created mankind. Then he placed them in a garden, which is a cultivated place. Eden was actually created by God. So, in actuality, our ability to cultivate nature is a reflection of God. God did it first. We are in his image. He created nature and then he cultivated it by making a garden and he placed man into it. Adam and Eve enjoyed the garden and its fruit. And they were free. Freedom in the spirit like Paul talks about. Freedom in the spirit. There was freedom in a garden. They could rest. And then Adam and Eve were banished from Eden. Because they ate of the fruit of a tree that was off limits. I'm not going to get into those trees and that fruit in this. That is a whole other very interesting deep dive. But it's no accident that fruit and gardens are one of the, if not the, central metaphors in the Bible. Remember what a metaphor means. I talked about that last year. It is a way we transfer meaning. It is how we understand our story. The garden as a metaphor frames the entire Bible and it is all throughout. And at the central is the fruit of the Spirit, Galatians 5. God banished them to... Genesis 3:23: "To till the ground from which they were taken. By the sweat of your face, you shall eat bread. Bread being a product of nature and culture, right? Nature of, of a wheat, cultivated into bread. You now must sweat, to cultivate. you must now till the ground from which you were taken. Fruit, work. Eden is paradise, right? It's our original resting place. And our need to work the land outside of Eden is a result of being banished from that garden. Now our effort post-fall, after the fall, this era we're in now, is that we can work the land unto the Lord. That is our invitation. That is our work. Work is not evil, We can do work nobly, Colossians 3.23. Whatever you do, do it as unto the Lord. My grandfather founded a retreat community in Korea built on the idea of work as prayer, a community working together, working the land, tilling the land. They have farms. They have gardens. Similarly, our friends, Queen City's friends, a place for the heart, this farm in Sofia, this retreat center, is built around the idea of cultivation, working the land unto the Lord. So, when we talk about works in the negative sense, being work-based, we're talking about doing works for approval, for status, versus unto the Lord, or to produce good fruit. Work can be good. But paradise, Eden, that ideal that we began with, Remains the ideal for just sitting, peace, enjoying fruit. It's the mercy of God, actually. It is God's goodness and his promise of integration into our lives that are tilling the ground, our labor, can produce fruit. Gardens are not natural. They are cultivated. Think about what fruit even represents in our modern society. Thriving, growth, abundance, purity, fruit of the loom. It's a brand, a brand of underwear. Their logos, an abundance of fruit. They're symbols of health, prosperity. We even have subcultures, organic versus genetically modified. There's something about fruit. Um, anyone like Bojangles? Bowberry Biscuits? This biscuit with bowberries. You know what a bowberry is? I have a friend, uh, who, um, was shooting some marketing videos for them and talking about, let's do some marketing, bowberry biscuits. I oh, will get a shot of someone, you know, in, in a blueberry orchard picking blueberries. <laughs> the Bojangles executives were like, yeah, we can't, can't show that. There's not actually blueberries in a bowberry biscuit. Bowberries are lard balls coated in blueberry syrup, that's what a bowberry is, Um, but they're delicious, I'm not judging against them, but this picture of fruit, oh it must be healthy, I'll get a bowberry biscuit, I'm feeling healthy today, there's no blueberries in a bowberry, cultivation, and as I've talked about before, this idea of sacrament, we are called to cultivate, we are called to create, we are invited into the priestly, Christ-like act of creating to form something new and lift it up to God. It's not an accident that the Bible is one big story about gardens and fruit and wine. Grapes are the fruit of nature. Wine is the fruit of nature-meeting culture, of labor-producing fruit. Wine is not natural. You cannot get wine naturally. It must be cultivated. Ground must be tilled. There must be labor to produce wine. There is good fruit and good labor just like there is bad fruit and bad labor. This is the contrast Paul is making in Galatians 5. Work of the flesh, fruit of the spirit. This occurred to me as I was preparing, and I won't explore this here, but this is pretty compelling to me, as I ponder the implications of Jesus' first miracle at the wedding, where he turned water into wine. He took nature, which is water, and he produced wine, which is only man-made. The miracle isn't that he made wine. Everyone in that room might probably had made wine. It's that he did it without work. He skipped the tilling part and took nature and made wine. No tilling of the ground. It was as if it was a peak back into paradise before we were banished or when we return where you can just rest in a garden. Really interesting to think about. But that's just me musing about that. There's a lot of messages centered around that specific miracle. Back to the message. God's not waiting for us to return to paradise. He has invited us here and now to engage in the garden. To be cultivators in a garden. To bring nature and culture together. I want to make sure I'm drawing a distinction between the work of our hands and the work of our flesh. Because flesh is often the word used in contrast to the spirit. Back to Galatians 5. Now this is actually several verses earlier in verse 13. For you were called to freedom, brothers and sisters. This is your calling. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for self-indulgence. But through love become Slaves to one another. For you were called to freedom. You were called to life in the garden. That is freedom. A life tilling the ground can be redeemed, is redemptive, but it it was not our original freedom. But we've been offered a life of freedom in the spirit. Slavery, slaves are those forced to till the ground. That's why it's a very perverse sin against humanity. It takes away that freedom. Forcing under threat of death till the ground. As opposed to engaging in the invitation that Christ offers. But do not use your freedom as an opportunity for self-indulgence. That is the risk of freedom that we can work in the flesh. Paul then gives a list which is not exhaustive by any means. Now here's many ways you can work in the flesh. Many products of a fleshly work are these things. But by contrast, the fruit of a life in the spirit is love. To lay aside your life for another. Joy. A calm delight in the present circumstance. Peace, a lack of tension, a lack of strife. Patience, waiting, surrendering, anticipating. Kindness, goodness in action. Generosity or goodness, giving more than is asked. Gentleness. Showing mercy. Giving freedom where punishment is due. Faithfulness. Being loyal. Doing what you'll say. Staying the course. Self-control. Not indulging in the work of the flesh. This is the fruit we can cultivate by a life in the Spirit. Let me ask, how is fruit cultivated? How do gardens work? Any gardeners in here? A few of us. I don't mean professional. My wife's an amazing gardener. I love watching her cultivate our garden. What do gardens need? Water. Seed. Sun. Soil. Nature. Nature. They need nature and they need tilling. They need labor. That's the culture part. What kills a garden? Neglect. Weeds are often the fruit of neglect. Too much water. Too much sun. A desert is too much sun to the point of death. It's the antithesis of a garden. Eden actually means well watered place. I love what Dan talked about last week, where he talked about joy, rejoicing as a model, not as versus grasping for joy, you know, in our present moment. So think of Galatians 5 as a model. Don't work in the flesh and produce this list of fleshly works. Do Live by the Spirit and produce this list of good fruit. Our gardens need work. It takes labor. And some of us are better than others at certain kinds of cultivation. This is why we need the church. We need a collective garden. We can't have a perfect garden this side of Eden And don't feel shame if you've produced a work of the flesh. Don't feel too full of yourself if you've produced a fruit of the spirit. If you over drink one night, you might not be living by the flesh. And if you throw some money at a homeless person, you might not be living by the spirit. It's a model. What's the model? It's the mindset. Paul says, to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. What are you setting your mind on? What is the garden that you're cultivating? What does your garden look like? If I see some weeds growing in your soil, it's talking about the church, right? The need for church, the need for community. If I see some weeds growing... Choking that peace or joy or whatever fruit is trying to grow. Let me be your co-laborer. Let me help you till. Let me help you pull some weeds out. Let me help you water what's dry. Let me help you shine a light on some things that are getting too much shade. Don't feel shame if not all your fruit is beautiful. Gardens take work. There are some ugly parts of my garden. There's some parts in the shade that I'd love to keep in the shade. I know they need sun, but I don't want to expose it. Some weeding that needs to happen. Sometimes we can't get our blueberries to grow. We settle for a bowberry. No disrespect against Bojangles Corporation or Bowberries, If you can see through the lens of nature and culture, the whole Bible becomes a story of a garden. Our whole life in the spirit becomes an act of gardening. The whole Bible. Matthew 7. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will know them by their fruits, are grapes gathered from thorns, or figs from thistles. In the same way, every good tree bears good fruit, but the bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a bad tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does, not net, that does not bear good fruits is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, you will know them by their fruits. Nature needs culture. You cannot survive in pure nature. The very act of looking at it gives us a little bit of that dread. Or at least you can't grow healthy. There's a whole TV show called Alone about the very act of surviving in pure nature. It's a pretty cool show you can't grow healthy. The winner is the one who starves the least. You must cultivate fruit. If we were cast into the wild, we'd instinctively start to cultivate, to till. And as I said before, the beauty of God is that he takes what was originally a punishment, tilling the ground, and he offers us a redemptive exchange. That's mercy. That's gentleness. That's goodness. That's the Spirit showing us what the fruit of the Spirit is. Ezekiel 36 Thus says the Lord God on the day that I cleansed you from all your iniquities I will cause the towns to be inhabited and the waste places shall be rebuilt. The land that was desolate shall be tilled. Instead of being the desolation that it was in the sight of all who passed by. And they will say, this land was desolate. This land that was desolate has become Eden, has become like the Garden of Eden. And the waste and desolate and ruined towns are now inhabited and fortified. Then the nations that are left all around you shall know that I, the Lord, have rebuilt the ruined places and replanted that which was desolate. I, the Lord, have spoken and I will do it. Amos 9, I will restore the fortunes of my people Israel, and they shall rebuild the ruined cities and inhabit them. They shall plant vineyards and drink their wine, and they shall make gardens and eat their fruit. Jeremiah 31. They shall come and sing aloud on the height of Zion, and they shall be radiant over the goodness of the Lord, over the grain, the wine, the oil, over the young of the flock and the herd. Their life shall become like a watered garden, and they shall never languish again. These are just a few that were easy to grab. There are hundreds of these all throughout the Bible because it's telling a story. And of course, John fifteen five, I am the vine. You are the branches. Those who abide in me and I in them bear much fruit because apart from me, you can do nothing. Mark 4, famously, Jesus uses two different garden metaphors to describe the kingdom of God. It's as if someone would scatter seed in the ground and would sleep and rise day and night and the seed would sprout and grow. He does not know how. Nature. The earth produces of itself first the stalk, then the head, then the full grain, But when the grain is ripe, at once he goes in with his sickle, culture, because the harvest has come. And then, right after, it is like a mustard seed, which when sown upon the ground, is the smallest of all the seeds on the earth. Luke 23, the thief on the cross. Jesus says today, because of your faith, because of what you said, you will be with me in paradise. The literal translation of that word is, garden you will be with me in the garden and of course in John 20 when Mary Magdalene at the empty tomb sees the risen Christ she does not recognize him and instead mistakes him for the gardener she thought Jesus was the gardener there's a word in science in math when you're developing theories and trying to simplify what's complicated, the things that really kind of piece together perfectly and make sense, there's a word called elegance. When they talk about theory, one of the ways they try to decide if it's true is how elegant is it. I am struck when I read about the garden imagery, when I look at Galatians 5, how elegant the Bible is. The story of the garden that it set up in the beginning in Genesis 1. And the work of cultivating the Bible, right? The the several hundred years that it took to sort of assemble and curate and drill down what's true, which manuscripts aren't. the, The early church work of putting together the Bible with an eye for this story. It's elegant. We began in paradise a garden cultivated by God without tilling, without work, and will end up in paradise with the thief on the cross, with Christ the gardener who makes wine from water. (laughs) Everything in between our life on earth, we're called to cultivate, to till, to thrive. To bear good fruit, to work our hands, not our flesh, to water what's dry, to weed what's being choked, to put in the sun that which is dying in the shade. That's cultivation, that's the fruit that is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self control. Amen. A simple, deep word, idea. So Lord, let your spirit lead to the freedom that is found in your garden. Let us produce good fruit. Let us be trees bearing love, bearing joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness faithfulness, self-control. Let us help our co-laborers. Let's help till their gardens. And Lord, let us not feel the shame from the state of our garden, but feel life and freedom of a life in the Spirit as we, Queen City, in our garden here, try to cultivate something beautiful, something reflecting your image as we cultivate that interior garden. And, of course, the greater garden that transcends time and space, history that transcends nature. You are our gardener. We thank you. Amen. Thank you.
0: I was thinking of a particular word as Thomas was speaking, and that word is yield, Y-E (laughs) Y-I-E-L-D. I almost misspelled the only word I was thinking about. And the idea is um, to yield is to give way to. And so when you're looking at works of the flesh versus fruit of the spirit, the idea is both, both of those have resource. Both of those present some kind of an impulse. So the idea is which one do you yield to? I think that's a vital uh, thought process there. Which one do you yield to? Because it's obvious we don't produce the fruit, but we can produce the works of the flesh. What do you yield to? So thank you, Thomas. Thank you very much. You've been listening to the Queen City Church Sermon of the Week. For more information on this message and other resources, visit queencity.church.